For the kingdom belongs to his sheep And your life is in the hands Of a God who never sleeps Fear not, little lamb For the kingdom belongs to his sheep And your life is in the hands of a God who Welcome back to Tending Lamps. I'm Abby. I'm Katie. And Sam wasn't able to join us this time. She has a sick little girl on her hands. Uh, so she is tending to that little lamb. But um, <laughs> we will uh, probably have her back with us next week, I'm sure. So um, this week, we are going to be discussing gentle parenting and bodily autonomy or personal autonomy. We just want to add a warning at the beginning of the episode that we'll be discussing some pretty sensitive and explicit material. Um, so if you have little ears in the room that aren't quite ready for that, uh, you may want to listen to this one with, with headphones in because <laughs> um, we don't want to leave anything out. This is a really important topic. But Katie, could you get us started? Uh, what is bodily autonomy? Why are we discussing it today? So... Bodily autonomy is defined as the right to self-governance over one's own body without external force or coercion. Uh, so when we talk about respecting our children, this is one of the ways that we do that. It's a basic human right to get to say what happens to our own bodies. Yeah, I think, you know, people, you don't have to be a gentle parent or even like gentle parenting to agree with that. Uh, you get the right to say what happens to your body. Um, and I think most, most people would agree with that definition. So we want to discuss why it's important to extend that right, that dignity to our children, even young children, um, from the time they're born. How can we respect that um, in a way you know, that we're obviously still caring for them while they have needs. Yeah, so the thing about that, though, is that a lot of people will say that. They'll recognize that it's important that everyone, uh, you know, has, um, that everyone feels in charge of their own body. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to teaching that practically, it becomes a little bit hairier. It becomes a little bit more difficult. Right. And I don't think that's made any better by kind of extreme views on this, which we'll get into later about, you know, your two month old needs to consent to a diaper change <laughs> like <laughs> right. that. You know, I think that when it's taken to an extreme, that kind of pushes people even further away from a well-balanced view on this that still respects their child, still cares for their child, but, but teaches them about their body and um, and helps them take agency over it as they're able to and, and really honors that and enjoys giving their children agency over their own bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that kind of naturally moves into our first section here, why we shouldn't violate our children's bodily autonomy. And by 
violate our children's bodily autonomy, I don't mean that we personally do, but in the ways that we also teach them about bodily autonomy or allow others maybe to violate their bodily autonomy in ways that we haven't thought about before. So to kind of head off this section, I just wanted to present a little shocker. (laughs) According to the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, 90% of sexual abuse victims know their perpetrator in some way, and 68% are abused by family members. So this isn't a tiny problem. This is a big problem. And it's only perpetuated by children who feel like they have no right over their own bodies as far as what others are allowed to do to it and maybe what's their fault and what's not. Um, Children have very black and white worlds. Um, So teaching them that their body is safe even from people that they love the most, if they don't want to be touched, uh, that teaches them that they're safe from everyone, family member or not, that there's no one that they can't say no to, especially, you know, with affection and things like that. Yeah, I think that that's one of the most important ways that we can teach them to, um, yeah, avoid, avoid abuse without having to freak them out. You know, and and try and saying, you know, or try to say, oh, you know, everyone you know could be dangerous, you know, that that might be a little bit extreme. But one of the ways that you can prevent um, or hopefully prevent abuse is uh, by teaching them that they're allowed to say no to things that they don't like, to touches that they know are wrong and inappropriate, to touches that feel funny to them to that oh you know and I don't I don't want this hug this person hugs me too much I don't like that you know yeah um, that their body is theirs it's not mama's it's not papa's but there are some ty- there are types of touches that mama's and papa's have to do you know wiping diapers up and stuff like that but um I think those are a bit instinctual for kids to know yeah. that this this is a safe, a safe type of touch and this is not. Um, but if you're not teaching that they can't say no or that they, they can say no. And if you're not teaching, you know, that they have control over their bodies, the, the lines between what are appropriate touches and what are not. And you know, that, that blurs really quickly. Yeah. You know, I think an added bonus about um, that is, That when we teach them that they have autonomy over their bodies, that also means that they learn that other people have autonomy over their bodies (laughs) so that they shouldn't violate others and that others can say no and others can say stop and they need to respect them the way that they want to be respected when they say no or they say stop. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really, I think that's another really important kind of flip side of the coin um, is that those rights extend to everyone. Um, and that they need to respect other people's rights as much as, as theirs are respected in their own home. Yeah. So I think this, this kind of gets into one of the things that Sam and I covered really briefly in the previous um, episode, and that was um, forced contact with relatives, um, mm-hmm. things like hugging grandma or hugging um, uncle so-and-so or, you know, whoever, um, that it's it's really amazing how influenced children can be by seemingly 
uh, innocuous things like a hug, like a little side hug or, you know, give me a high five. No, I don't want to give you a high five, but then you make them give give a high five. You know, those things may seem really small to us because we don't feel threatened by high five because we're not little kids. Yeah. Um, Being forced or coerced into affection is not really affection at all. No. And I think on that note, if you, you know, change this to fit the proportions of an adult and you, you think of yourself in a situation where you're literally being forced through threat of physical violence mm-hmm. to hug someone, that that, when you're learning who is safe and what is safe and what type of behaviors are, are acceptable, someone saying, I'm going to spank you if you don't hug this other person. Like that, that's really scary. That's really intimidating. And that sounds very similar to abusive tactics. If you don't X, I will Y. Right. Um, It's just setting them up to learn that if I don't show physical affection under threat of force, bad things will happen to me. And I don't, and I don't want to be like too harsh against yeah. people that you try and encourage affection from their kids to, you know, relatives that they love. And I know the intentions behind a lot of this are, are good, but, but thankfully culture is shifting a little bit in this way. And, uh, some more people are becoming aware of the implications of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really just what's necessary is just becoming more aware of the implications of this type of interaction with your kid and forcing this kind of thing. Yeah. And we'll get into overreactions and what bodily autonomy isn't at the back end of this episode. Um, So we don't want to say that you can never encourage your kid to hug or high five grandma. Um, That's (laughs) not what we're saying at all. (laughs) So I hope no one hears that, but um, just, I think the force emotional manipulation coercion is not a healthy way to encourage that. So let's get into some common violations of bodily autonomy. We kind of went over any display of affection that has to be forced or coerced, uh, like kissing grandma or, you know, hugging grandpa. Um, Some others I thought of that may be less obvious are petting a dog um, when your child very obviously does not want to. Mm. I actually see that quite a bit. going for walks and at the park and stuff. If someone has a dog and their child seems mildly interested or isn't running the other direction, a lot of times they'll kind of scoop their hand and, and force it, force it, force it. And the child is very clearly unhappy about it. They don't want right. to pet the dog. That's a scary situation for them. Um, but it's okay. It's just a puppy, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, your kid does not want to pet that dog. Like, let's right. not... <laughs> You know, do you want to go pet a grizzly bear? I don't think so. That's kind of <laughs> the perspective there. Yeah. Um, and then the other, I would say, is emotional manipulation. Um, I'm going to cry if you don't hug me. You know, that oh, kind of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. We don't, it may not be physical force, but we don't want to emotionally manipulate our kids into affection either. No, and I've seen that one a lot in my in my experience the the sad face and the oh I'm gonna cry and you know it's it's funny and if it's really really extreme and you're just being and it's kind of 
I can't say that, yeah. Yes. I can't say that it's always like the worst offense, you know, because you yeah. could be silly like, oh, I admit, you know, very extreme about it and and it could be a game. And not still forcing yourself on them, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right. But I think that there is that I have seen uh it cross over into manipulation into yeah. uh, like the silent treatment or getting you know, silently angry, fine. If you don't want to hug, then I'm not, you know, basically communicating fine. I'm just going to walk away then. I don't want to hug you either. And, right. you know, that kind of uh, commu- nonverbal communication can really, um, can really hurt a kid's feelings. Yeah. So I think probably the most important part, how do we teach bodily autonomy to our kids? Yeah. One of the ways that we've already gone over, but that's just really important to hammer home is respecting their no and saying when they say stop uh, and then having them respect yours and other people's. Uh, One of the things that comes to mind actually as an example of this is tickling. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy tickling. I like being tickled. I like tickle, (laughs) tickle games. Um, But my sister actually gets, we'll just say very angry, very angry, even at the, like the slightest hint of tickling. And uh, if someone goes to tickle her, uh, she has reacted quite strongly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) quite strongly. And um, honestly, the more I learn about this, the more I think that her reactions are actually uh, kind of involuntary. Mm -hmm. She kind of goes into this like, um, fear mode panic, where, yeah, yeah, a panic mode. And, uh, it's usually it's, well, it's always after she's told someone, you know, she doesn't like tickling and they're like, Oh yeah, we're still going to go for that. And so she feels really violated. Yeah. But that's one way that we can, you know, uh, violate our kids. Yeah. You know, a big one for me is, and I think a lot of parents is that I, will not be in the same room as my daughter while I use the bathroom. <laughs> I just won't. She violates yeah. my bodily autonomy. <laughs> I mean, she's only one. I'm partially kidding. But I really don't. I close the door. I don't like people in the, in the bathroom while I'm using the restroom. Um, it's yeah. just very personal. It's very private. And so that's one way from the time she's, I mean, a little baby. I've just said no. No, mm-hmm. that's not. I'm not going there. Now, for some people, that's not a problem. Um, I've talked to moms who really, truly, genuinely don't seem to mind their kids in the bathroom with them. So that's going to be up to each individual. But I think that's just maybe an an example maybe you haven't thought about. You don't have to have your kid in the bathroom with you. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And you know what that teaches them? That if they don't want someone in the bathroom while they're using the bathroom, that's okay too. Yeah. And I think that's like one of the strongest ways that we can teach them about their own bodily autonomy is just... Yeah, like you've said, like respecting your own and really being direct and firm about your own boundaries. This is a big one for me. Educate your children on anatomically correct terms for their body parts. Yeah. Using nicknames for their private parts usually reflects a parent's discomfort mm. about talking openly about these things. It it communicates a sense of shame over them to your child. Not only that, it creates this awkward tension around conversations. Maybe they don't want to ask questions because they're not quite sure. 
um, empowering your child to understand their body is one of the greatest gifts that you can give them. Yeah. You don't want them to have any mystery around how their body works. And I think, especially in more conservative Christian circles, this can really be an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it seems like an issue of modesty or propriety, um, like they're too young, that kind of thing. Um, They're not too young. They have the body parts from the moment they're born. They're not too young. You want to have age-appropriate conversations. You don't want to, you know, just lay all your cards out on the table at three years old. (laughs) But they're not too young to understand how their bodies work. And I think so many times, you know, the biggest reason I've seen, you know, this is anecdotal, but the biggest reason I've seen in in groups and among friends for not explaining things at a certain age is because they're afraid that they're going to tell their friends. I've seen that. So I mean, oh, well, you know, little Johnny is just a blabbermouth. And if I tell him at six years old, blah, 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 all his friends are going to find out. And I'm uh, sorry that his friends are going to find out, you know, <laughs> their friends' mommies need to have those conversations with him. That's not up to you to keep his mouth shut about things that he should know about. Yeah. So that's kind of my soapbox about that. <laughs> well, you can't really control that. That's not, you know, you can't, uh, it's like saying, Well, the only way to control that is to withhold information. Yeah, exactly. But that's the worst option. It's <laughs> like the, the not option. Yeah, you don't that's do, the not option. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, one of the funny consequences, well, I guess it's not funny, uh, but one of the consequences of, of this is um, <laughs> in my own life, I've recognized the, a discomfort myself around like conversations involving body parts. And sometimes they come, it comes up in life, you know, and that, I think that's the thing. Like we have just this huge discomfort uh, even among like you know girl talk kind of friends like mm-hmm. about about sensitive subjects and sometimes you know i think it's really important that we have this openness with our friends about dis- uh, uh, uncomfortable conversations and topics because we need help and we need input and um we can't always you know it's not always something you need to go to a doctor about yeah. these conversations come up but i even recognize in myself like <laughs> saying the word penis is like I, st- <laughs> I still feel a little awkward about it sometimes it's all red and it's like you know for a long time I was like do oh gosh do I say pp you know I'm like I'm a grown-up like this I can't <laughs> say the word like yeah you know like how do I say this and now I'm I, I do feel much more comfortable about it it's actually a little bit more awkward for me now because we're recording <laughs> <laughs> like this goes out into the ether you know everybody hears it but like it was really really awkward for me for a while as I transitioned into being more comfortable saying actual you know the name of body parts yeah body parts and that's just a funny little consequence that I've noticed in my own life that you communicate to your kids yeah you know I think I think part of that is, I mean, there's, there's an element of propriety here, you know, right. like, I don't, I don't know a parent in their right mind that would not feel a little embarrassed about their kid running down the church hall screaming penis or something like that, you know, like <laughs> there's propriety too. Like it's not, it's not that we can't ever feel like embarrassed or silly over this. It's just this deep seated shame I think is so often found especially in Christian circles. I'm not trying to pick on conservative Christian circles because I'm part of one. (laughs) Um, But 
you know, I, it's just, I think it's just something we need to get over and be okay with and not have this one big conversation at 10 years old about the birds and the bees. Like, like make this part of educating your child. If you have girls, explain how their cycle works. Right. Don't make them wait until they're 19 or 20 to understand what's going on with their bodies. I think that's just, I think that's just an important role of parents that sometimes gets misconstrued um, or overlooked. Yeah. And I, you know, of course there is a level, like you were saying, there is a level of propriety that you want to teach. You know, um, I was actually um, nannying with some of the kids that I nannied at one point were really, really comfortable in their own bodies. And I was really great with that, but it actually made me really uncomfortable one night when um, um, in the evening, my husband and I went over there to what to babysit um, while they were sleeping. And so we were just going to watch a movie while the kids uh, were sleeping, but we were there right at bedtime. And so we read it, we were reading stories with them and uh, while their parents or right after their parents did bath time. And they were, you know, oh, how old was the little boy? Like seven, six or seven. And he was running around totally naked around my husband, whom he had never met before. Oh, God. And yeah, and it made me feel very awkward, not because I, do, I distrust my husband, but because they don't know him. Yeah. You know, and, right. and, and that yeah, that is something that I think you can communicate, you can teach, that these are private areas, that there's nothing shameful about them, but they're not for everyone to see yep, exactly. um, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and we'll get into that a little more too with the overreactions that we'll address at the back end of this episode. Uh, so another way that you can teach about uh, their bodily autonomy and have and give them a sense, not even teaching explicitly, but just giving them, in, instilling in them a sense of bodily autonomy is allowing them to have the choices over what happens to their bodies as long as it's age appropriate, like not piercing a baby girl's ears, you're giving choices between outfits, scheduling an appointment when uh, they say they want a haircut listening if they express physical discomfort around a specific person. Uh, these are really important things that you can do that allow them to feel and have a sense of control over their bodies. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we can't, <laughs> we can't not change our baby's diapers. We can't, I mean, these things are just a little extreme and ridiculous. But right. there are choices that we can give our kids. Yeah. Um, especially as it in regards to kind of cosmetic things to their body, such as haircuts and ear piercing. Those are things we don't necessarily have to do or not do. Um, but I think it's just respectful to a child to not do piercings or things like that to their bodies without their consent. Because we don't have right. to. There's no reason to. No. One thing I really wanted to touch on as far as sexual abuse goes, and this is, you know, a sensitive topic. A lot of our audience, I'm sure, has experienced sexual abuse. But I want I want you to know as a parent that you need to teach your child that there are certain things that they can, I mean, they can always come to you about everything. But as far as sexual abuse goes, they need to know that they can always come to you 
even if they said yes, even if it felt good, and that you will always believe them and you will always take up their case. When your child is a child, it does not matter how much they quote unquote consented if an adult touches them sexually, period. It does not matter. The adult is the perpetrator and the child is the victim 100% of the time. I think that's just an important thing to know as a parent. It's important to know that a lot of sexual abuse victims experience sexual pleasure when they're being abused because their sexual organs are being stimulated. Um, It kind of only makes sense. It's not because they wanted it. It's not because they said yes. It's not, it's not because of anything that they did. It's because their sexual organs, which were designed for pleasure, were being touched, whether they quote unquote consented or not. Right. Um, and I think going back to kind of the point I was making with the little boy that I nannied running around naked uh, in front of someone he didn't know, you you can teach and give them a sense of autonomy and, and control of their own body and also teach at the same time that there are just certain types of situations, certain types of touches that are just always across the board unacceptable. And you don't have to freak them out, but sometimes, you know, like when you're talking about, uh, I was just reading a, a really good article on water safety and things like that, you know, there are certain situations that are scary and that are dangerous and that sometimes you do have to go there with them and it can be a little scary and it can be a little, you know, um, intimidating and you don't know how to approach it exactly because you don't want to freak them out. But I think a a healthy fear around, I don't even want to say fear, but just a healthy understanding of their body and that there are people that aren't always, uh, that don't always want the best for us and that, some people can harm us that that there are people out there that do harm other people and uh that it's okay to that actually it's not just okay to say no but that we always should say no about these certain kinds of touches yeah and that they're not overreacting by yelling or screaming or saying no in a very strong way or coming to you afterwards and they can tell you every detail and you will always believe them, but that there's no overreaction to these things that, you know, all the things about not screaming in the store and all the, they don't apply to the situation, you know, um, that they don't need to show any sense of social propriety about being touched that way. I think that's a really, really, really good point because I think just from what have I what I've experienced with talking to people who've gone through situations like this and um, just what I've observed is that a lot of the time what drives people to not yell or not say no forcefully or not uh, just insist that a person leave their home or you know these types of things it are social pressures 
are thing are, are not even explicit threats, but just this feeling like, well, I shouldn't scream right now because everyone's going to hear me. It's going to be embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Or I shouldn't make this person leave my apartment because, you know, that's going to hurt his feelings or it's going to be awkward or weird when I see him at work. Like there are all sorts of things that like when we force someone, we've, when we force our kid to hug uncle so-and-so, we do not realize the weight of that interaction and how it could affect them later on when it comes to social propriety. Yep. Um, You know, I think that's a good time to bring up. We had a, we had a comment in a related group on this and I just think, I just thought it was really great because I think a lot of times again in Christian circles, we can harp on the fact that, our hearts are desperately sick and, and who can trust their heart and all this kind of thing. Right. Um, the girl said, teach your children to trust their gut instincts and to trust yours as well. Christians are uncomfortable with this idea as they've been taught that the heart is deceitful. You can't pay attention to feelings. But gut instincts are often signals your brain stem and limbic system send to your nervous system as a protective warning. Noticing things your slower prefrontal cortex still hasn't decided on and may even try to talk you out of. So be curious about these quote unquote gut instincts and do not ignore them. In other words, oftentimes before you can rationalize, your brain quickly goes danger, danger, danger. And there's something to that. Yeah. We know that it is a biblical truth that you shouldn't base your decisions on your emotion in a moment. You know, that is something that we all can recognize is not a good way to make all of your decisions if you're just following your heart. But that's not what we're talking about here. And I think that that concept has really gotten blurred when it comes to just, uh, like you said, trusting your gut instinct. Oftentimes, as she pointed at as this girl pointed out it is your your brain recognizing things your instincts recognizing things and patterns that you may not understand yet you things know it's the way- same it's the same gut instinct that tells you to slam on your brakes and swerve when someone is about to crash into you this right. is not a follow your heart kind of thing this is not about your feelings and emotions as much as it is about Someone's about to crash into me and I need to do something immediately. You don't think through those things. You have an immediate quote unquote gut reaction. Yeah. Actually, it makes me think of, and I don't know how closely related they are, but it actually uh, strikes me as something that's more akin to when you're smelling the chicken to make sure it's safe. Yeah. Like the actual, the smell that you smell is not just repulsive to you for no reason. Your brain recognizes that smell as something that is dangerous to you so throw the chicken away that is the time you should always trust your heart (laughs) (laughs) if the chicken stinks follow your heart (laughs) throw it in the trash sorry don't waste that money (laughs) well i think it's for real though like no it is you're right there are things that, and you know, secular people would say your brain has evolved to recognize these things before you even do. You know, your brain is constantly taking in signals, yeah. it's constantly taking in patterns and recognizing, like when you see a, a snake, 
you know, or something moving under the, under the, the grass or under the leaves, you immediately stop and your instinct kicks in mm-hmm. and it's controlling your body before you even know if it's something dangerous or not. Right. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So let's talk about what bodily autonomy does not mean. Um, we touched on this overreactions, consenting to a diaper change or insisting that your child wear clothes before you leave the house, picking your child up and taking them home if they're throwing a temper tantrum. Physical touch, I think, in a lot of ways has been over-sexualized by our culture. Your two-month-old cannot consent to a diaper change, and you would be a bad parent if you did not change their diaper until they gave consent (laughs) because (laughs) they won't. So don't allow an over-sexualization of touch prevent you from doing things that you need to do as a parent. There are good and appropriate and right ways to touch your child and show them affection and care for them. But what we're saying is that as far as affection goes um, and kind of unnecessary touch, your child should have a say in the matter. Yeah, bouncing off of that um, is something, is a confusion that I think people can easily make that autonomy does not equal agency necessarily. Um, That a two-year-old does not have the same type of agency, they don't have the same type of responsibility, the same abilities as a 25-year-old would have, but they do have autonomy. They are their own person. They do have their own will, their own desires, their own um, right to privacy. They have their own autonomy, but that doesn't always necessarily equal agency. So you're not going to, you know, the example of the diaper change of like a six month old who doesn't want a diaper change, you don't have to necessarily give them agency and responsibility for kicking your hand when you know you just do it you put you push through it but they do have autonomy that you can recognize that you're having to say oh you know sorry i'm going to have to override this right. right this moment and realizing that um it's a temporary state one day they will be potty trained and yeah. then you will not have agency over that portion of their life you know right another thing that bodily autonomy does not mean is not encouraging polite behavior. And we kind of touched on this earlier, but it is perfectly acceptable to encourage your children to show physical affection to people that they love and that they're close to. And I would say, even if they're a little resistant, do you want to give grandma a hug? Oh, you don't? Okay. Well, how about a high five? Would that work for you? Okay. Not this time. That's okay. We'll try again next time. That is not coercion. That is not force. That's just encouraging your child to show affection to people that they love and giving them the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Another thing that, the last thing here on this list that uh, bodily autonomy does not mean is letting your kids run around in inappropriate clothes for the season or like the example I gave, the, the company that's around and not having to change into jammies, that kind of thing, because it's bedtime. Uh, you can insist on certain things and you can, you know, it doesn't always have to be insistent. It's just, it can be a pattern of living. Yeah. Just the way, you know, bedtime, does, you don't always have to in- insist on bedtime if from the beginning you just operate in a certain way that bedtime is. Yep. So from the from the very early age, bedtime is now and that's what happens. And And so now Calvin knows, okay, we go upstairs 
shortly after dinner and we take a bath and we nurse and we read a book and say prayers and we go to sleep, you know, and he just knows that. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's okay. You know, <laughs> you don't, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. And same thing with, you know, we wear clothes around people. We, yeah. we don't wear bathing suits to church. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's just, yeah. thing, those are just things that you can, uh, yeah, instill in them uh, without having to be overbearing. And say no to if they want to override that. Yeah. That's okay too. That's not violating their bodily autonomy if yeah. you need to say no. Yeah, if you need to say, oh, sorry, I'm going to scoop you up right now to go upstairs. I know you're watching the last 10 minutes of whatever, or we're having fun playing with whatever toy, but it's bedtime now, you know, in a particular night where they don't want bedtime right now. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, we hope this episode has been helpful to you in navigating the sometimes muddy waters of teaching your children about um, bodily autonomy and helping model it to them. Um, if you have any other questions about this topic, certainly feel free to join our Facebook group. Um, it's called the Tending Lambs Group, a gentle parenting community. Or you can uh, certainly message us privately, and we will be sure to address it during our next question and answer episode. But I hope this has been helpful, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening to Tending Lambs. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please join our Facebook group, Tending Lambs Community Group. You can follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash tendinglambs, and find the show notes page and lots of other gentle parenting resources at our website, tendinglambs.com. Until next time. But gut instincts are often signals to your brainstem and limbic system. What the heck? Hold on. <laughs> that are often signals your brainstem and limbic sin- oh, system. Oh, brainstem. And your, and your limbic system. What? <laughs> the gut instincts. Are often, okay, yeah, she has it right. I'm just reading it wrong. Oh, okay. I'm confused okay. too. So I'm, I'm excited to hear this. Okay. <laughs>